0: Haggai chapter two, verses one to nine. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house? That is The temple. In its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt... My spirit stands in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all peoples so that the treasure of all peoples shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Loving Heavenly Father, help us, we pray, to hear what you have to say to us in these words. And help our hearts to rejoice this morning in the truth of a glorious, peacemaking God who is with his people in Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps you're one of those people who has a massive blowout on the 25th of December and then slinks off to bed tired and tipsy with that feeling of anticlimax already setting in. Well, fear not. Because it's still only the second day of Christmas, we've got a whole Sunday of carols still to come. And on the second day of Christmas, your pastor gave to you something to make up for any disappointments lurking under the tree. A message from Haggai the prophet who tells us, we now have everything the human heart is looking for. The year is 520 BC, 18 years since a group of about 50,000 refugees were sent home from exile in Babylon to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. Led along with Haggai himself by the two characters we meet in verse 2. First, a governor, a little kinglet called Zerubbabel, grandson of the last legitimate king of Judah, and heir of King David. And if you haven't heard of him, it's okay. The important thing is that his something like 10 times great grandson will be a certain carpenter called Joseph. And then alongside him, the second part of this double act, there's a faithful priest called Joshua, a name we've met once already this Christmas. We saw him last week in the carol service, a name The Bible gives to a man born to face a terrible struggle in order to lead his people into merry rest, the Hebrew name for Jesus. So we've got here a prophet, a priest and a sort of king together in the land building the temple where God is meant to dwell with his people. And if you're a connoisseur of exciting Bible moments, your antenna should be starting to smoke by now. In chapter one of this book, God's word came to his people through the prophet and their hearts were fanned into flame and they got building on the temple at last. But now by chapter two, around a month has passed and all the fire is going out. Because when God's people look at the work they've been called to, it just seems hopelessly small. They're building a shabby little shed of a temple in the backwater of a world empire. And if you remembered Israel's glory days in the past, verse 3, well, looking at this is enough to make you weep. We are just coming down, aren't we? As a church, we're coming down from that carol service in the Dean. It was a little smaller with the pandemic raging, but wasn't it beautiful to walk into a building like that? Cavernous, glorious, lit with candles from wooden floor to vaulted ceiling. It is deeply impressive. And one week later, here we are again in Stockbridge in a freezing cold room with a peeling floor and mismatching chairs. Hopelessly small. So I wonder if we can feel their disappointment. What impressive thing could God do here? Well, Haggai's answer is essentially that when these returnees look at the foundation of their unimpressive temple, they don't actually have a clue what it is they're really staring at. Yes, the building may be nothing at all, but it's the one who will fill it who will make it incomparably glorious. They are basically staring at an empty manger, a little grubby, hollow shell, an empty shell. But one day that manger will become a cradle and that cradle will rock the world. Yet once more, says God, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth You see, the thing that is incomparably glorious about the Christian faith is the God in a manger, God with us. Do you notice how preoccupied these nine verses are with the truth that God will come to be with his people? First, in verse four, we get a throwback to the book of Joshua. Did you notice all the allusion there? Be strong, be strong, be strong, for I am with you. There's a Joshua-type deliverance on its way. God is coming down to deliver his people into rest. And then we get it again in verse five. My spirit stands in your midst, remains in your midst. I didn't promise myself to your fathers in covenant only to abandon their children now. No, I will be with you just as I was with them. So don't lose heart, fear not. And then again in verse seven, the desire of the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. The thing that was incomparably glorious about that temple was never the building. It was the God who filled it, the God who would soon come to his people in the flesh and fill it again the thing that is incomparably glorious about our Christian faith is not the place we worship, but the God who fills that place as we worship. The one we have dwelling with us right now. And if we're already feeling like the big Christmas splurge is over and now the disappointment with church and Christian things is setting in, well, Haggai wants to remind us of that truth. The one we have with us, the one we have to offer the world, is everything this world could ever want, everything we could ever want. So do not fear. Just two simple truths then for this Boxing Day Sunday about the God in the manger and what he's worth, appearance and reality. And we've touched already, haven't we, on appearance. This God in the manger is worth less than nothing to our earthly eyes. Isn't that often how it is with the way God chooses to do things? Verse three, who is left among you who remembers the glory days? Well, look at this new work of God, this new temple. Literally, is it not as if it were not in your eyes, as if nothing were happening here at all. While well, fast forward to the climax of Israel's story, after all those years of promise and build-up, and when at last the glory of God does come to His people, it's not even to this second temple. No, it's somewhere even smaller—a virgin's womb, and then an animal's feeding trough. Some ground floor of a house in Bethlehem where the guests have to share space with the livestock. It is the smallest temple in the Bible. Who will be impressed by that? Little and on the outside at least embarrassingly ordinary. So the next time you are... Trying to invite someone to church and you build the fear up way too much in your head and then stumble awkwardly over your words and you feel a complete fool and then they make some polite excuse when they hear that we're not even the respectable kind of church. Well, don't worry. Just remember that is how the whole story started. How God himself came into the world. It has never been impressive in human eyes a dirty manger and for it to look anything more than that God himself has to intervene in the human heart only when he shakes the cosmos verse 7 only then will mankind flock to Israel's Messiah God has to shake us out of our human way of looking at things Hebrews 12 quotes those words and it tells us that creation shook like that when God spoke to the world from heaven by sending his son. That little stable thundered louder than Mount Sinai and it thundered with a warning, do not reject this God who has stooped to a manger. He is more glorious than you would ever ever believe this god in the manger yes he might look like nothing in our earthly eyes but secondly he is worth more than all our earthly treasure they look at this shell of a building site and what they can see is something half finished and empty and smaller than the last one and made out of cheaper materials and they're disappointed because they're looking for glory in the wrong things. What if they looked at that temple the way a husband and wife who've longed for a child look at the nursery that they've spent months and months preparing? It's probably the smallest room in their house, nothing to show off, but it is infinitely precious to them because of the one they are hoping and praying will one day sleep in the cradle. I wonder if we can capture some of that loving sense of longing as we get ourselves ready week by week to come and meet with the Lord Jesus here with his people. At the moment, that temple was nothing more than an empty, dirty old manger. But one day, the maker of the world would come down and set foot inside and in that place verse 9 he would give the world his peace his shalom by the blood of his cross and then verse 7 the world would flock to him in their droves now there's one tricky question we need to iron out in the text of verse 7 and that is who or what is the treasure here the word treasures In our ESV, that's actually singular in the Hebrew. There are lots of nations who are coming, but they all have one collective treasure, one thing or person they desire. So the grammar doesn't really work. It's a bit awkward for the poor translators, maybe deliberately awkward, as if he's flagging up a double meaning to this treasure. And it's fair enough to smooth it out the way our church Bibles do, the ESV, the treasures of the nations shall come in. If you do that, you make it about the people of the world bringing their tribute to the God of Israel who fills the temple. Think of the Magi, that first Christmas, laying their precious gifts at the foot of Christ. But it's not for lack of silver or gold that Israel's temple looked the way it looked. Verse eight. God could have given it far more outward glory if he'd chosen. He has all the treasures in the world. The big point here has been that it's something else which will make this place glorious. So I think it's probably better to read this the way the NIV and the King James Version do. The desire of all nations shall come. In other words, the treasure is God himself, the child in the manger, especially as This is set amid all these promises about God coming to his people. Jesus really is the one desire of every nation, even if we don't know what we're looking for. He is the joy of every longing heart come at last to his temple. And ultimately, that point is true, however we read that verse, because how do we show what it is that we treasure except by treasuring it. Our treasure, our deepest desire, is the thing we are willing to give up all the treasures we have to hold. We're told that the God in the manger is that very thing, the treasure of every nation. And we're not meant to think there, by the way, of our modern nation states. We're meant to think of groups of human beings cultures bound together by blood and behaviour, people groups, every kind of tribe and tradition you can possibly think of will flock to treasure this God who is with us. I wonder if you trust that. Do you trust that the Jesus you have to hold out to the world, the God with us right now as we meet, really is that desirable he is everything that every human you know is longing for if only god shakes up their thinking enough to see it jesus christ god in the manky manger is our deepest longing the deepest longing of every tribe both the woke and the broke the climate denier and the eco loon the covid skeptic and the most ultra covid secure none of us no tribe is beyond treasuring Jesus Christ just think how utterly magnetic he was in the gospels to everyone he ever met even the ones who hated him couldn't stay away they were drawn to him if only to challenge and question and provoke and one day when he shakes creation one last time We will flock to him again and either treasure him together or cringe before him in fear. John Calvin puts it wonderfully. Israel could have filled that second temple with the treasures of a thousand worlds. And all the majesty of all that rusting treasure would look like nothing when God the father appears in the person of his son. No wonder the heavens shook. Look, verse 6, look who this God in your midst really is. The Lord of hosts, commander of the armies of heaven. Rank, just think about this, rank upon rank of angel would veil their faces as the light of light descended to earth and then flood the skies with song as he was born. And what do we believe? We believe he is with us still, that same God, that Jesus all the world craves contact with, whether they know it or not. He's right here as two or three gather together with his spirit in our midst. Doesn't that fill you with confidence about church? The one we have to offer the world is everything they're looking for. And a God who shook creation from a grubby manger. Isn't he just the kind of God who would shake human souls from a little church like ours, meeting in a freezing cold, peeling little room that we couldn't even afford to own? (laughs) That's Haggai's message. It might look small, but the glory of our Christian faith is this God in our midst, nothing else. So do not fear. I am with you all year round. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, God of gods, light of light, glory of the Father, hope of all the earth, Fill our hearts and minds, we pray, with more conviction and more confidence and more joy in your incomparable worth, the Lord of hosts who in holy love became one with us and now reigns in our midst. Forgive us for the times we have underestimated how deeply attractive you are to a world longing for light and love and truth. So help us, we pray, without fear or shame to hold you out to the world as our only glory, God with us in greatest grace. Amen.